Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Well, I'm so glad you're joining me today as we talk about Palm Sunday, the day we celebrate traditionally what's called the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It was the first time that Jesus allowed himself to be publicly acknowledged as the king. This parade certainly was unforgettable for those in attendance and unexpected, especially for the followers of Jesus. The narrative of Palm Sunday gives to us three groups of people, the crowd, the Pharisees, the disciples. Now, before we get into it, just just a little background. People waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna seems like a makeshift parade to us, but this was not the first time this had happened. In fact, what they did for Jesus on Palm Sunday was a traditional greeting. The people were accustomed to getting a national hero, a conquering king that would come into their city. And when they knew that person was on their way to town, They'd often gather at the entrance to wave palm branches to make some noise. You know, palm branches were a symbol of victory. And they would shout, Hosanna, which a quick definition would simply mean, save us now. The crowd was shouting and chanting, save us, save us. I want to take a look at three groups of people that we glean some lessons from today. And as I mentioned, it's the crowd, the Pharisees, and the disciples. Let's first take a look at the crowd. The crowd. Their perspective of this entire event was simply this. What's in it for me? That was their perspective. Hey, what do we get out of this deal? Now, they weren't looking for a savior from their sins. They were simply looking for someone to rescue them from Roman rule and oppression. And they'd heard about Jesus. They heard he was the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. And they heard that he and his entourage were coming to town. And they began to think, well, if he can raise people from the dead, what can he do for us? Surely he can handle the Romans who are over us. So they grab their palm branches. They start waving, singing Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, there's excitement, there's exuberance, there's volume. And the scriptures record that other people were asking, hey, who is this guy? I don't know. But having him around was like winning the lottery. Hopefully he'll come through for us and he'll deal with our Roman oppression. But Jesus knows something they don't know. By the way, Jesus always knows what we don't know. He's on the way to be crucified. He's on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on his way to be arrested. And it's the beginning of what we call the Passion Week. Now, if you look up the word passion in many dictionaries, you will find out it's about the passion of Jesus. It's actually defined as Good Friday and Easter and all that Jesus was passionate about. He was a passionate Savior who loves and cares for you and who cares for me. And he came to deliver us, not from governmental oppression, not from Roman rule, but from Satan himself and from the penalty of our sins. One thing was was certain. The crowd wanted what they wanted and not really what Jesus was providing. 
You know, John 12, 13, it says they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. But when they realized that Jesus wasn't going to do what they expected, that he wasn't going to fulfill their perspective on things, that same group shouts later on in John 19 and verse 15, and here's what they say, take him away, take him away and crucify him. I mean, human nature, human tendency is to be self-centered and to desire what we want, how we want, what we want, when we want it. So here's a question. How do we come more Christ-centered and selfless? Hmm. How do we become more Christ-centered and selfless? And the answer is really one word, surrender. Uh, Remember, we cannot control life. We can't control everything that happens to us, but we can control one thing. We can control our level of surrender to Jesus. And boy, did Jesus model surrender for us during the Passion Week? And do you remember as Luke records in chapter 22, verse 42, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, the, the cup of death, the cup of the suffering of the cross. But then he said these words, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. One minute the crowd is saying, save him. The next minute they're saying, take him away. And in a few days from now, we would see Jesus in the garden saying, I want what you want, God. Hey, the second group that I want us to see is the religious leaders, the religious leaders. Now they knew the prophecy about Palm Sunday. They knew the scriptures. They should have seen this coming. I mean, back in the prophecies of Daniel, over 500 years before this very parade, it was prophesied that this day would be the day Jesus would enter into Jerusalem, riding on the colt of a donkey. And they missed it. I mean, Daniel actually gave them the number of the days on the calendar, and when the Messiah would would enter the city, you'd think they would have marked it down, be on the lookout for this, but their focus was off. The Old Testament tells us that it was prophesied by Zechariah, the very same thing, that Jesus would become the Messiah, and he would ride in Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. How did they miss it? Well, they missed it because of this thing, perspective. Perspective that said, I'm in control. Ever been there? (laughs) See, when you attempt to be in control and not fully trust God, you miss so much. I miss so much. The religious leader's perspective of this entire event was, I'm in control here. Not you, Jesus. It's me. The religious leaders had a really good thing going. They didn't want Jesus to mess it up. Now, the Romans pretty much let these religious leaders do whatever they wanted to do to the Jewish people, and they were scared of Jesus. These leaders were intimidated by Jesus because he had influence and a growing crowd wherever he went. They thought he was going to take over politically and that they would lose their market share and their power and their place. John 12, 19 records the Pharisees said to each other, we've lost. Look, the whole world has gone after him, referring to Jesus. You see, desire for control creates an unteachable heart, an unteachable heart. 
When we surrender to God, it opens our eyes to see things his way and to see people around us and the needs around us like never before. The Pharisees, they might have known the law. They, they knew the prophecies about Jesus, but they missed it because of the condition of their hearts. And then we have this third group, the disciples. They had walked with Jesus. They had watched Jesus. They made commitments to follow him and his teachings and partner in his work. But all through their experience with Jesus, Jesus held them back from telling people who he was. When Jesus healed the lepers, Jesus said to them, hey, hey, go tell the priests, show yourselves to the priests, but don't you dare tell anyone else about your healing. When Jesus healed Jairus' daughter earlier in the New Testament, he told everyone who was there, shh, there's no reason to talk about this. Be quiet. And when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he told his disciples that were with him, say nothing to anyone. You heard nothing, you, 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 you saw nothing, and you will say nothing. And he held them back. Why? Well, Jesus said in John 8, verse 20, my time has not yet come. But they come walking into Jerusalem with people waving palm branches, shouting Hosanna, the disciples looking around saying, hey, this is awesome, and we get to be a part of it. (laughs) And then the Pharisees say to Jesus, you need to shut these people up. Make them be quiet. They shouldn't be saying these things about you. Jesus, make them stop. And because the disciples had seen Jesus do this before, they expected Jesus to make them stop. And Jesus said, no. Let them sing my praises. In fact, if they don't sing, even the rocks that you're standing on, those rocks will cry out. The disciples are losing their mind. Jesus was was making a grand entrance, but it wasn't quite what they had expected. The disciples' perspective was not like this, not like this. This is not the plan. Our king on a donkey, what about a crown? And this week ahead, they're still trying to figure out what was to come. But it was not what they had planned. And here's their perspective. This is not the plan. A conversation between Jesus and Peter lets us in on the perspective of the disciples. Matthew 16, Jesus and Peter are talking. And from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples, plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and he would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead, Easter. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Peter clearly declares his perspective, his plan, not like this. I know you've come into your kingdom. I know that you're here to do a very special work, Jesus. But it's not going to go like this. Not like this, Lord. This is not the plan. And it's as though Peter is saying, the disciples and I have a better plan for you. You see, the result of a lack of trust in God's plan always leads to blindness. 
We miss seeing the best plan. We miss seeing God's big picture of things. And much like the crowd, they thought Jesus was there to take up an earthly throne, to rule, and no doubt with them as his entourage by their side. But that wasn't the point. And here they were thinking, not like this. This is not the plan. And all three groups, the crowd, the, the Pharisees, the disciples, they all experienced Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, and they were there when Jesus came in, but they didn't quite understand. It wasn't quite as they had planned. It wasn't quite like they had expected. They needed their eyesight, their perspective, their teachability to be adjusted, but you and I know that's not easy, but it's necessary. Well, how's your perspective? How do you see things? See, God is constantly wanting to change the way we see things through the lens of of Scripture with fresh eyes and not tainted by a lack of faith or a lack of trust or being stuck in our past. Do Do you see yourself in any of these three groups? The crowd, the disciples, the religious leaders? You see, when Jesus makes an entrance into your life, into your situation, into your circumstances, he changes everything. And when we allow him to do his work, he desires to change our very souls. When Jesus enters your life or situation, the first thing that he does is he creates a beautiful disruption. Everything was disrupted as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. That word disruption, I mean, I've heard it used a lot the last 13 and 14 months. So many things in our life have been disrupted, things beyond our control, things that challenged our faith and our perspective. There's that word again. And when Jesus enters your situation, he creates a beautiful disruption. When Jesus enters, everything changes, not just at salvation. But any time we invite him afresh to come in and fill us with his will and and his way, his spirit, and his life. Jesus had a conversation with Peter and Andrew, one of my favorite in the Bible. And when they were fishing at the Sea of Galilee, Jesus walks up to them and he begins to speak to them. Now, these guys had a great fishing business going. They were doing just fine. But Jesus knew they wanted more out of life, that they wanted to do something significant. And Jesus created this holy disruption. Matthew 4.19 records that Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And so they they dropped their nets. They left their nets. They, They left their tools for which they were able to gather income for their families. They left their nets at once, this is radical, and followed him. There was no deliberation, no debate. They just dropped everything they were doing and came and followed Jesus. When Jesus comes into our lives, he says that I will offer you an opportunity to do something significant, to love others, to serve others, to share the good news of salvation with others. Remember what he told the disciples, I will teach you how to fish for men and for women Boys and girls, I will give you a gospel perspective. 
I love what my friend, Pastor Brad Williams of Beaverton, Oregon, Foursquare Church says. He says, we dig deep wells of living water and remove the fences that keep people from drinking. Let me say it again. We dig deep wells of living water. That's our responsibility. We make it easy then for people to come in and drink of the living water of Jesus. We remove any barriers, any blocks that keep people from getting in, those fences. And as a church, we're moving into really a season of starting over in many areas, adding another service indoors, using a more interactive online program to connect with you better and those outside the walls of the church. That's all coming soon. But big picture, we're all about digging deep wells of living water to remove fences, to remove barriers for people to connect with Jesus and drink from the living water. After all, isn't that what they need? So I have a question for you. If your life stays on its current trajectory, will it land you on your God-given purpose or will it land you further away? One gentleman in our church was sharing with me how this year of disruption caused him to grow apathetic and lethargic, and it's understandable. He started dealing with anxiety. He started getting very critical of everyone and a little cynical too. This anxiety was something he'd never dealt with before. He was saying things that he had never said before. And then he shared these words with me, Pastor Bernie, I feel stuck and don't know how to get out of this place that I'm in. But he told me before I could even answer him that he was determined to have Jesus be fully his life, fully not just a part of his life, but be his life. And part of his problems is he stopped relying on the Lord and started getting locked up in his own thinking getting his story stuck in one groove, so to speak, and, and he needed a Jesus shakeup, a Jesus disruption. And he said, I'm committed to reading my Bible every day. I'm committed to prayer every morning and every afternoon and every evening and finding fresh places to serve. I'm going to take my eyes off myself and put them on Jesus, my eyes off myself, and start looking at those around me. You see, when Jesus enters your situation, when Jesus makes an entrance into your life, he creates a beautiful disruption. And that beautiful disruption leads to a a deeper sense of his power and his grace. That beautiful disruption leads to a new perspective. That's the second thing I want to bring up, that Jesus brings a new perspective. You know, your perspective is an assessment of your reality. Your perspective is the framework through which you view the world and interpret everything that happens. Our perspective should develop as our relationship with Jesus deepens. Perspective develops as relationship deepens. Don't miss that. And if we're seeing things the same old way, then then, then obviously we're missing something. Jesus' hope for us is that we see things his way. The religious leaders had their perspective The crowd had their perspective. And disciples, they had their perspective too. John 12, 16 says that his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, 
they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Oh, oh, now we get it, they say. After Jesus had completed his mission, then their perspectives changed. You know, it's never too late to change your perspective, how you view people. If there's any tinge of, of, of prejudice or, or hatred inside your heart, or if you have a perspective that gives you a justification to be offended or hold a grudge or speak ill of others, when my relationship with Jesus deepens, my perspective is developed. It grows. It evolves. It changes. <laughs> and we have some kind of, a, of an aha moment. Clarity comes. And it's not always easy. But here's something that I understand about perspective. That perspective must be framed with truth and faith and not with feeling. With truth, with faith, not with feeling. Because feelings will disappoint us and they will disillusion us. It must be framed with truth and faith. And Jesus, well, he doesn't just offer us aha moments. But the third thing is Jesus offers you and me a Hosanna moment. Hosanna. See, Jesus offers us this Hosanna moment. It's more than shouting Hosanna towards Jesus. And that was just a greeting. But it didn't mean much more than that to the people that day. Save us, save us, save us. But looking a little deeper in the Arabic language, Hosanna really means relief from the crushing weight. Relief from the crushing weight. You see, Jesus had gone into the garden during this Passion Week, and he was praying, and he realized what was about to happen to him. He realized that the sins of the world would be placed upon him. He realized the weight, the crushing weight. And that's why in Matthew 26, 38, he says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He looked at his disciples and said, stay here, and keep watch with me. And we, we know they end up falling asleep. <laughs> My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He knew what he was about to take on. He knew, yes, about the physical torture and what a crucifixion would do to his body. That overwhelmed Jesus' heart. But as he thought about taking on the sins of the world, the sins of you and me, the sins of our children, the sins of our forefathers, he knew that when he would take all of this on himself, it would create a separation between him and his father momentarily. His soul was weighted down, and this scared him to death. This was new territory for him. And he knew that, that he couldn't carry it. And then he also knew that we couldn't carry our own sin. So the word Hosanna also means, and I love this, room and space to breathe. Think about it. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I mean, after all, he understands the weight of life. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. I am humble and gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. 
You see, when Jesus makes entrance into your life, into your situation, into your family, he brings a Hosanna moment. He brings relief to the pressure, and he gives you room and space to breathe. And he declares, come to me, and I will, I will help you find rest for your souls. Lifting the weight, letting you breathe. Now, I don't know what's weighing you down, but I do know the answer to your trouble. It's Jesus. You see, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, it first sounded to me like he was going to give me something else to deal with. I look at the Lord and say, hey, Lord, my, my burden is heavy enough already. <laughs> I don't need to take on your problems too. But as we take a picture of a yoke, we look at these two oxen here. And we see there's actually a, a board that is stretched across them with, with two arches. And those two arches allow these two animals to be yoked together. You see, the value of a yoke is that it, it halves the load. Without a yoke, one cow or one oxen has to pull the entire load by itself. But if you yoke up two animals, they pull the load together. And the load is half as heavy. So when Jesus says to you and to me, take my yoke on you, <laughs> he's not saying he's going to give you his problems. Jesus is saying he's going to link up with you. You are not going to have to carry everything by yourself. There'll be some that you'll carry. And there'll be some that you'll pull. There'll be some things you have to push but you don't do it alone. He's going to share your load with you. He's going to take your stress on himself. He's going to bear it with you. Wow. Come on now. I mean, you could amen that. Matter of fact, if you're in the chat right now, go ahead and just say, I'm not alone. Jesus is with me. Isn't that a great declaration? And he uses three notable verbs in this scripture. Come learn and take. Come, learn, and take, which could be a sermon by itself. He says, come to me. Give me whatever weighs you down, your guilt and your shame. Come to me. Team up with me. And then learn. Learn how I do it. Learn to trust me. Take on a lighter load. This is going to reduce your stress. Walking with me. Giving up your life to me. Because I'm going to help you navigate life. You see, when you're yoked with Christ, you move together with him. You move in the same direction with him. And grateful that we move at the same speed with him. We don't get ahead of him or behind him. You see, the key is what you choose to give to Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't make forced entries. He's an open-heart surgeon, so we open our hearts. And he does his work. Oh, here's the key. You've heard it earlier. You've heard it a lot lately. It's surrender. When Jesus made his entrance into Jerusalem, he did so as an act of surrender. Jesus was willing to surrender himself to the Father because he knew that the, the Father knew best. And sometimes we say, Lord, Lord, I need your help. <laughs> okay, let's yoke up together. And the Lord pulls with you. And then he gets things moving. And then we say, okay, Lord, <laughs> you can step down now. You can stand down. I'll take it from here. And how often do we link up with the Lord and then unlink? How often do we commit ourselves to the Lord and then we 
uncommit. But Jesus wants to come and make an unforgettable entrance into your life, even today. I believe it. I'm assured of it. And he'll bring that relief. He'll give you room to breathe. And he'll create something so beautiful in your life as you link up with him. When Jesus makes an entrance into our lives and into our situations, when I invite him into my problems, into my obstacles, it might not be what I expect, but it's always everything that I need. It's always everything that you need. Hey, I invite you to let the Lord make an entrance into your life today, a fresh entrance. Maybe it's the first time you're asking Jesus to come into your heart, to come into your life, and you're declaring that you will follow him. Or maybe this is your 50th time or 60th time. But let's surrender. With Good Friday before us, let's surrender. With Easter around the corner and the resurrection of Jesus, let's surrender. Let God change our perspective so we could see him clearly. Jesus, we believe you. We believe you're exactly who you say you are. And you can make this your prayer. Forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. I commit my life to you. You died for me. You rose again from the dead. And I come to surrender myself to you. Change my perspective. And dear Jesus, create a beautiful disruption in my soul. As we get ready to finish, I want to just pray another prayer. Father, thank you so very much for your entrance into our lives. When we've been let down, when life did not seem fair, when we've been hurt by others, Thank you that you come to fill us. And I pray, God, that you'd give us all the courage to, to take on your yoke because your yoke is easy and light. You never called for us to do life on our own, by ourselves, but that you would partner with us. You'd never leave us nor forsake us. And we thank you today that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We pray that you would take the crushing weight of life off of us we pray, Lord, that you would remind us that if we surrender to you, we can have a Hosanna moment, and you'll give us room to breathe and, and space to breathe, and you'll relieve us from the crushing weight upon our lives. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, this Friday night, I want to invite you at 6 p.m., Church Online. We're going to have a time of communion and a time of sharing some worship together. I'll bring a message with you, uh, for you, and I, I hope that you'll join me at 6 p.m. online and on demand anytime after that. And next Sunday, Easter Sunday, at 8 a.m. and 1045 online and 1045 in person right here. And from 3.30 to 5 on Easter afternoon, we're going to have a drive-through with some goodies and such while supplies last. So don't wait till the last minute. But it's going to be a great time together right in front of the church. And on Easter Sunday, next Sunday, the kids are back. First through sixth graders are going to come back and be with us. And while we're outdoors worshiping, they're going to have some indoor programming. It's going to be wonderful. So let's keep welcoming Jesus into our lives, our homes, our families, and our church. Blessed Holy Week to you all, and we'll see you soon. 
We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.